we're going to talk about breaking the cycle of debt. You need money to get away, but you don't need to come back and pay for your trip for the next 12 months. All right? And uh, unfortunately, we, we have a lot of people, we don't, but we know a lot of people that go on a vacation every summer and then they take the next 12 months to pay it off and then they put ne- then when they get it paid off they'll put next year's vacation on credit card and uh and they're just kind of paying they're paying for something they've already experienced and and that's not God's plan so let's talk a little bit about it tonight let's talk about breaking the cycle of debt turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 Matthew chapter 6 Matthew chapter 6, verse number 19. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Matthew chapter 6. Thank you for coming tonight. God bless you for coming. We want our Wednesday nights to be a comfortable, good time for you. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 19. Before you, we, we read this, let me tell you, not this Sunday. I'll be teaching this Sunday, but next Sunday... Joe Morris will be here. Joe Morris, you've, you've never, he's never been here before, never been able to have him before, but just found a date we could work out. Joe Morris is, um, is well-known and teaches all over the world on current events and end times. End times. Uh, pop, apocalyptic material. Joe Morris. And uh, that's, he's just anointed to teach end times, current events, what's happening What's happening in North Korea biblically? What's happening in Israel biblically? What does the Bible say about the end times? What during this season in which we're living? Uh, what's God doing? And and He'll be here not this Sunday, but the last Sunday of the month. So be sure if you're if you're thinking about what well, do we want to book, get away that Sunday or that's not the Sunday to get away, okay? Because you want to hear. Uh, we're honored to have this guy come. Uh, to Family Worship Center. Turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse number 19. I'm going to read from the... Let's read from the New Living Translation. He says this. Jesus is talking. He says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store yourself... Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Verse 22. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And then the light you think you have is actually darkness. How deep that darkness is. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. In other words, he says you can't serve God with all your heart if money is your master. He's talking about debt. He's literally talking about debt. Um, uh, several years ago, we had a, a family that came to us, and um, uh, they don't attend church here, but they came to us and said, Pastor Eddie, can you help us? Um, and I said, sure. And they said, we, we, need, we need some accountability on 
getting out of debt. I said, well, well, we'll love to help you in this. We believe it's God's will for you people to, to live free. And um, I said, uh, are, are you struggling? Do you have uh, school loans? Oh, no, no, we don't have school loans. I said, well, do you have a high mortgage payment? No, no, our house is about paid for. I said, well, then, well, you know, what's, what's your debt? He said, well, it's uh, credit cards. I said, credit cards? He said, yeah, we just, got, uh, we just got called into court by American Express. We over, over them over $78,000. And, uh, and, you know, American Express, is, uh, if you get a good rate, uh, it's 15% every month. And these were good people, wonderful people. They loved Jesus. Uh, they loved their family. They loved each other. But they got themselves in a mess. And they really didn't. I said, well, what in the world did you buy? Was it medical bills? Was it, was it, was it, was it cars? Was it, well, we really can't put our finger on it. We went a trip here, and then we went on a trip here. And then we bought a big screen TV, and then we needed some equipment for our patio, and we bought that, and... And then after it was all over, all of a sudden they find out now, without really having a budget and without really having accountability, now all of a sudden they can't pay their 15% interest on their $78,000. And that was just one, and they had about five other credit cards. That was the most, but they had about 12 on one and about 18 on another. So they had well over $100,000 on credit cards, and it was eating their lunch. Debt can get on us before we know it. It really can. So tonight, let's talk a few minutes about an enemy to our family, an enemy to your future, my future, an enemy to our faith, and an enemy, it's an enemy to the church. And the enemy I'm talking about is not money. Money is not the enemy. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy Chapter 6, verse number 10. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 10. This is the one that everybody quotes. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Notice it says, when money is your focus, when you're eager, when you desire it, when you thirst for it, when you crave, when you're willing to lay down uh, a a moderate moderate life to go after it, notice what it says. It'll cause you to wonder from your faith, and it will pierce you with many griefs. And we've seen marriages end up in divorce. We've seen families split. We've seen people do criminal activity, do things that they knew were not right because they became enslaved to money. But money's still not the enemy. Notice he says, for it's the love of money. He didn't say it's money, it's the love of money. Let me share this with you. Money is a blessing. It's not an enemy. Money is a blessing. It's not an enemy. The love of money is the enemy. The love of money is the enemy. Satan loves to promote the idea that money should not be talked about at church. Satan loves the idea... That money should not be talked about at church. Go ahead and answer that. That's probably the bill collector calling you. Money 
in our age is a basic tool that enables a civilization to sustain itself and improve its way of life. Money is not an enemy. Money is not the bad guy. Money is not wrong. It's not wrong to talk about money in church. Satan loves to promote the idea, don't talk about money in church. But money is simply a tool that enables a civilization. It enables a society. It enables a family. It enables a father to provide for his children. It enables a mother to clothe her babies. It enables a, a couple to send their child to university. Money enabled you to get here tonight. It put gas in your car or truck to be able to get here. Without money tonight, we would be sitting in a hot metal building. Without money tonight, we would be sitting on the floor instead of these nice cushioned seats. Without money tonight, you wouldn't be wearing the nice clothes that you have. See, if you look at it that way, money is not an enemy. Money is a blessing. It's a basic tool that helps a civilization and a society and a culture and a family and a husband and a wife to sustain their way of life and to improve their way of life. In our society, you know this, we cannot sustain the basic needs of life without money. Well, people say all the time, you don't need money. Couples say it. We don't need money. We'll just, you know how you are when you're young. You first get married. How, one of the things we talk about in premarital sessions is budget and money. And I've had them over the years. They're not ready financially for money. They're not even prepared for marriage financially. And we'll talk about that. And they always say, well, we'll just get by. You know, we'll just live on love. I've had them say that. We'll live on love. I'm going to tell you what, you can get hungry on love. (laughs) You can sleep out in the backyard on love. You know, money is, in, in our society, we cannot sustain the basic needs of life without money. In our society, we cannot go where we want to go or do what we want to do without money. Several of you talked about the trips you just took or the trips you're going to take. Well, you know as well as I do, you're not, a, you're not crazy. It takes money to do that. You, you and I can't go where we want to go or do what we want to do if we didn't have money. Our dreams and hopes remain unfulfilled and lifeless without the resources or money to help bring them into reality. Ever since I began in ministry years ago, there's always someone who says, the church doesn't need to talk about money. It offends people. The church doesn't need to talk about money. It offends people. You know, I've never had anyone who was a recipient of the church's benevolence complain because we helped them with their rent payment. Never had anybody who've accepted the church's money to help them with their rent payment complain about the church having money. I've never had anyone who received Jesus as their Savior complain that the church spent money on them, bringing them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've never had a parent whose child was taught the Word of God complain about the money that was spent on discipling their child in the faith. Only the people that who complain about the church talking about money, is people 
whose money is their God. The only people who complain about the church talking about money is people whose money is their God. Money is not the enemy. The love of money is an enemy. But the other enemy is this. Debt is the enemy. Debt is an enemy of our families. It's an enemy of our future. And it's an enemy of our faith. What is the United States of America right now? What are, what are we in debt? Is it $22 trillion? $22 trillion? We're talking about our prosperity. We're talking about low unemployment. We're talking about all the money. But we couldn't pay our debt if we had to, if our loans were called. So are we really that prosperous? Or is it just a fake and a phony something that's being propped up? Because we are in debt. How many people do you know, or maybe you are this way, that you are one paycheck away from losing your house? You're one paycheck of not receiving a paycheck from losing your car. You're one paycheck away from not being able to, to, to meet your obligations. How many of us are... Are, are shifting things on our budget, paying this a little bit this month and a little less on the other one this month, and we can pay more, and then next month we'll catch back up on the other one. We're constantly juggling our finances. As the old saying, we're robbing Peter to pay Paul, not because money's the problem, but because debt is the enemy. Debt is, is literally committing future income to current expense. Debt is committing future income to current expense. Debt is saying, I'm, I want to I buy it now, I want to spend it now, I want to enjoy it now, and I'll pay for it later. We always talk about these buy here, pay here lots, car lots. Well, that's every time we pull out our credit card, we are buying now and paying later. Debt is buying now and paying later. And God does not want his people burdened with debt. He doesn't want you burdened with it. I don't know about you, but when Amanda and I, before we learned some lessons about stewardship and money management, when we got ourselves in some messes financially, it's something that you can't get rid of quickly. You wake up with it, it's on your mind. You go to bed at night, and it's on your mind. If you wake up in the middle of the night, which you do often, how am I going to pay this bill? What am I going to take? What am I going to do? And if, Lord, help you if you have an emergency during the month, that throws everything out of whack. God doesn't want his people burdened with debt. Now, here's something I want to say to you. There is the difference in owing on something and being in debt. Okay, there's a big difference in owing on something and being in debt. How many of you are Dave Ramsey fans? I mean, I like Dave Ramsey. I think he's wonderful. But Dave Ramsey proposes that you don't owe on anything. You don't owe on anything. The ultimate is to be don't owe on anything. Of course, it's pretty easy for him to say that when he's building a hundred million dollar headquarters right there on Interstate 65. But uh, and I understand that, and and that is the ultimate. But understand, there is a difference in owing on something and being in debt. Debt is when we become the servant to our purchase. Debt is when we become the servant to our purchase. 
dead is when we become the servant to our purpose. Go back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Notice what he says. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. And here's what Amanda and I have learned over the years. When our financial commitments hinder us from being able to serve God the way He requests us to serve Him, then we have fallen prey to debt. When our financial commitments hinder us from being able to serve God the way He requests us to serve Him, then we have fallen prey to debt. When we hear a missionary share and we want to have a stirring in our heart to help that missionary, but we can't because all our money is already committed to the big screen TV and to the vehicle and to this, that, and the other and to pay for vacation. But we, we have a stirring. God's stirring us to help, to give a little extra, to give $50 or to give $100 or $20, but we can't. Then because we've, our money is already commit, committed, then we've fallen prey to debt. There's a difference between owing on something and being in debt. There's a difference. So understand that. Understand that, that uh, when, when our financial commitments hinder us from being able to serve God the way He requests, we have fallen prey to debt. Now, our nation has become brainwashed believing that debt is a normal way of living. I want you to understand that debt did not even come into existence of most American families until the last 40 years. There was a day where you couldn't even get a loan for a car. There was a day that the credit cards were something that was unheard of. Credit cards. I remember when I was a little boy, my church preached against credit cards. They said it was the forerunner of the mark of the beast. The forerunner of the mark of the beast, where you can't buy or sell without a something in your hand or something in your forehead. And you know what? They're doing that right now. Can you not see it coming? That you're not even going to have to have a credit card due to identity theft. They're going to install a chip right here in your hand or in your forehead, and they're just going to scan you when you go by. And and so I remember when credit cards came out, and people thought that was a forerunner of the mark of the beast. And and so there there was a season in America's life, and Americans, that debt was was unheard of. Oh, you might take out a, a loan for a mortgage, but you'd never go in debt to go out to eat. And you would never go in debt to go on a vacation. And you would never go in debt to even to get a car. Our nation has been brainwashed into believing that debt, being a slave to our purchases, is a normal way of life. In fact, many institutions want you in debt. How many of you have received offers in the last couple of weeks to open a new credit card account? Do you get those in the mail? Anybody get them? I get them just about every day. I didn't know people in South Dakota love me. But they write me at least once a month, Citibank and their headquarters in South Dakota. Please, 
please take our money. We love you so much. We want you to take our special card. You are invited. How many have received those checks in the mail? For several thousand dollars and your only requirement is signing on the dotted line. See, that's financial institutions wanting us to go in debt. Debt has become a way of life in America. How many of you have gone to buy a car lately and they don't talk to you about the price of the car? They want to know what's your payment. How, what, what kind of payment? In other words, you, it's, a, it's, it's, an un, it's an unforeseen, it's a rule now. Nobody pays for a car, they just have payments. They don't even talk about the price of the car, they just talk about payments. And we fall and pray to this. And the only way that the financial institutions make money, the greatest way they make money, is when you and I are in debt. The financial institutions of our nation survive on people's debt. And the greater your debt, the more money they make. And it puts us in prison. It hinders our marriages. It hinders our futures. It hinders our it hinders our ability to serve God and go when God says go and give when God says give because we're committed elsewhere. And that's when the Lord said, you can't serve God and money. You can't serve them both. Now, some of you might work here, and if you do, I'm not against you. I want you to know that. But I disdain, I cannot stand advanced financial. These... Uh, uh, signature loan places, these note places. Advanced Financial is the biggest in Tennessee. They have branches everywhere. I went on their website today just to see. You ever heard anything? You've seen them advertised on TV? Flex loans advertised. Our congressman, our local congressman here in Murfreesboro, they approved this. They had to approve it to allow Advanced Financial and other groups to do this. They took money from them as, as campaign contributions, and they approved this. Now get this. If you get one of those flex loans, you see it on TV all the time, it's anywhere from $100 to $4,000 you can borrow. A flex loan. You can do it online. Just fill out a few things online, and then the, mail, the, the money will be coming to your mailbox. Do you understand that the interest rate on an advanced flex loan, according to their website today, is 279.5%? 200 and go on there, go on to advanced financial and go under rates and terms, and it's there for everybody to read. Their interest rate is 279.5%. And our our congressmen, our state senators, and our state com they approved that. They approved it that allowed them to do that. It's legal. Now, people like that need to be taken out and whooped in, in Christian love. That's wrong. That's sin. That's usury. That is enslaving people. It's a modern-day slavery. And I can't tell you the number of people that we see pretty routinely who get themselves in one of those and they don't, they have a, a, a medical emergency and, they, and the bank won't loan them any money and they, they can't, family doesn't have any money so they have to go out of emergency. Their motive for going is worthy, but then they get in that cycle and they're a slave. 279 and a half 
8% interest is charged on a loan through those folks. Every financial institution, every airline, every major company is now offering credit cards to lure you into debt. General Motors, documented fact, makes more profit on financing cars than they do on building cars. They make more profit on financing cars than they do on building cars. Debt. I want to encourage you tonight to see debt as not a normal way of life, but an opportunity to be free from it. Make up your mind to be free from debt. Listen, God is not against His people having treasure. He is against treasure having you. All right? God is not against you having stuff. He don't mind if you have cars and homes and boats and motorcycles and... And ATVs, he don't mind if you have rings and, and, and furniture and all the wonderful stuff that, that is out there to, to make our life more fun and easy and enjoyable. God is not against any of that. He is not against people having treasure. He's against treasure having you. Look with me back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Notice this, it's a very important verse of Scripture. Very, and if you, if you read it correctly, you'll see something very interesting here. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, notice what it says here. Our heart follows our treasure. Our treasure doesn't follow our heart. For where your treasure is, where you put your, where your treasures, that's where your heart. Your heart follows your treasure. Your treasure doesn't follow your heart. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Because your heart always follows your treasure. Now go back to Matthew chapter 6 verse 19. Let me show you this. Notice what he says again. Don't store up treasures here on earth. Where moths eat and them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Let's read it again. Don't store up treasures here on earth. Don't store up treasures here on earth. Verse 20, store your treasures in heaven. Now often... We have heard this verse used and explained that Jesus doesn't want us to have treasure. But Jesus doesn't say it's wrong to have treasure. Jesus encourages us to be good stewards of our resources and invest it where it will not depreciate. He didn't say, don't have treasure. Did he? In verse 19 and 20, he didn't say nothing about not having treasure. Well, God doesn't want you, God don't want you to have stuff. Stuff's an enemy. No, stuff's not an enemy. Stuff's fun. Stuff's pretty. Stuff, stuff's enjoyable. I've had stuff and I've had nothing. And stuff is better than nothing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? God's not against you having treasure. He just wants to make sure we're good stewards to put it where it does not depreciate. 
Mike, did I make you mad? Is the conviction getting that tough on you there? Yeah. Store yourselves treasure in heaven. What does Jesus say? Store your treasures in heaven. Jesus, why in heaven? Well, God wants our stuff. No, Jesus doesn't want our stuff. He wants your heart. Because wherever your treasure is, what happens? Your heart follows. So when he says, don't store yourself on earth, don't store your treasure on earth, because if you store your treasure on earth, your heart always follows your treasure. Your heart, your focus will be on earth. But he says, store your treasure in heaven. Why? Because, not because he wants your stuff. He don't need your stuff. He don't need my money. He don't need my stuff. He wants my heart. And my heart will always follow my treasure. Look with me at Colossians chapter 3, verse number 1. Notice what he says. He says it a little different way here. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. One of the ways Amanda and I, one of the ways Amanda and I learned years ago, personally, after making terrible, some terrible financial decisions, and we decided we weren't going to live like that again, one of the ways we, one of the decisions we made to make sure our heart stayed focused on things above and not on things of the earth is we made a decision years ago and still abide by this rule and principle in our house this day that the largest monthly expense that we have is our tithe and not anything else. If it's true that my treasure, my heart follows my treasure, then my largest monthly expense will reveal where my treasure is and where my heart is. And if it's my house, because my heart follows my treasure, wherever my treasure is, that's where my heart is. I can look at a person's checkbook. Y'all know what a checkbook is, don't you? I can, I'm dating myself. I can look at somebody's checkbook and see where their heart is. It's a thing they pay the most for every month. So we made up a decision that we would never, though we, the banks wanted to loan us more, and though mortgage companies wanted to loan us more, and we could have built bigger and bought bigger, we made the decision that our largest monthly expense or payment or donation would always be to God and God's work. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart, and he said, set your heart on things above, set your eyes on things above. Should we do that? I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just telling you that's what the, the Lord uh, instructed us to do for our lives. And I'm going to tell you, Granny used to say it this way. You can't find it in the Scripture. But she, I remember since a little boy, she'd say, that you can't outgive God. Can't outgive God. My grandmother was on Social Security. She was, uh, the most she ever made was $312 a month from Social Security. And when she died, she had a thirty. Uh, she had a seventy thousand dollar house paid for, and she left each of her ten, her three children, ten thousand dollars apiece. And she had put money away to bury her. Yeah. 
That was big to her. She wanted, don't want my kids burying me. I'm going to bury myself. And she did that on $312 a month. And every missionary that came, she gave money to. Every special offering she gave. I used to think, where in the world does Granny get this money? I thought she was selling drugs out the back door. <laughs> but you can't outgive God. You say, how'd she do it? I have no idea how she did it. But she did. Recently in a men's small group, the question was asked. It really got my attention. What do I have that I can't give away? What do I have that I can't give away? What do I have that I can't give away? As I fumbled to find a spiritual answer, being the pastor, you know, everybody expects you to come up with a spiritual answer. It dawned on me that I can't give away that which I don't own. And if I'm in debt to it, I don't own it. It owns me. What do I have that I can't give away? Only those things that own me, not those things that I own. So my time is up, but let me give you one, one, breaking the cycle of debt. We'll pick this up at another time. How do you break this cycle? Pastor, I've got myself in a mess. And let me tell you, if you've got yourself in a mess, don't feel bad. Don't get down on yourself. We've all been there. And I'm tempted now. I'm tempted now. I, I love cars. I love Corvettes. And I, I had to sell my Corvette to, to send my girl to college. And uh, she's out of college and on doing her own thing. So I've been, for the last 10 months, every night, I'm on my iPad all over the United States wheeling and dealing on Corvettes. And my temptation is to go down over here to Wilson Motors and buy a brand new one. You know, those things are pretty expensive now. But I about, I about convinced myself, and Amanda's helped convince me, <laughs> that a good pre-owned one is just as good as a new one. How many of you know uh, any kind of Corvette is better than a Chevrolet Nova? How many know that? I mean, <laughs> you've got a Nova? You had an <laughs> oh, I'd say a pinto. Anybody remember a pinto? <laughs> How do you break the cycle of debt? Number one, discover your present reality. Sit down and list every bill you owe. You know, that's hard. That's hard. But it's biblical. It's a biblical principle. Amanda and I still to this day will... We'll, we'll get together and we'll, we'll sit down about once every six months. Okay, what do we owe? What do we want? What do we desire? What's some things we want to buy? And we sit down and list all of our, our commitments. Look at Luke chapter 14, verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? See, this is where most of us get ourselves in a mess, and that's why they sell payments today. It's not how much it costs to pay f for the completion of it. It's how much the can you pay this month. 
how much can you pay this month? But notice what he says. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to do what? Complete it. Not just pay the payment this month, but to complete it. In other words, you, you've got to be able to justify, can I do this in worst case scenario? Count the cost debt has brought to your life. Sit down and do that. Well, I don't want to. It's, it's too depressing. I've had couples say it's too depressing. And it can be. I understand that. We've been there where it's been too depressing. But you have to make some hard choices. Make some hard choices. Do I need these things to be happy? Are these things prohibiting me from being or doing God's plan for my life? Make some hard choices. It was a tough thing. I'm going to just tell you. I'd worked hard and I'd been blessed. I'd traveled all over the United States preaching the gospel away from my family. And I'd done well. And God had blessed me. And I'd sowed... CDs and stuff, and and God had blessed us. And I went and bought me a brand new Corvette back years ago. And and when it came time for school, for university, it was either me keep my Corvette or my daughter have school debt. And you say, well, that's an easy one. You just sell your Corvette. It's not easy when your treasure (laughs) is in your garage. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. And I went through every... Well, you know, every kid has school debt. Every kid has... She can get... You know, to teach her some responsibility. Every kid... Kids, you know, should teach her responsibility. She, nobody... You know, you know, all that. And I started thinking, well, my mom paid for my school. Because I wanted to say, well, nobody paid for my school. And then I was a lie. My mama paid for my school. So it was a, it was a hard choice. I sold, I sold my Corvette to be able to help fund her school. And every one of us come to these moments in life that we have to make some hard choices. But we can't make those hard choices if we don't sit down and count the cost. Well, I can see you're excited about this tonight. Hallelujah. All right? And if you found yourself overwhelmed with debt, and it'll just slip up on you little by little, Buy this here, buy that there. Got a little extra money, buy this here, buy that. Put this on the credit card. Go out and eat with some friends. Do this. And and before long, it's just slipped up on you. And then at the end of the month, this thing's coming in, and you're only paying the minimal, and the credit card company is eating your lunch. And if you found yourself like that, let me encourage you to confess your sin. And repent of being an unwise steward. How do you break the cycle of debt? Number one, sit down and make a list of your present reality. And if you find yourself giving more to your treasures than you are to God. If you find that you're not able to do and go and be and give like God has prompted you to do. Because you have these financial commitments. I encourage you. To just confess your sin and repent and ask the Lord to forgive you for being an unwise steward. He will forgive you and he will help you start to get free. 
Uh, I've got several other points, but we won't get to them. I, I remember uh, several years ago, several years ago, probably 20 years ago, I had a, a young couple come to me, and they're beautiful young couple, had two beautiful girls. They started coming to our church because our church had a daycare, and they dropped their girls off at our daycare, and then they fell in love with our daycare, and and then they started coming, bringing their girls to our children's church, and then they started coming to church, and they became a member. He became an usher. She became one of our children's teachers. Just a wonderful couple. She was a nurse, and he was a plant manager of a, uh, a good company. He had, this was back 20 years ago, he was making six figures, and, and she was making good money working as a nurse at the hospital. They were making good money for a young couple. And uh, they came in to see me. And they said, Pastor, uh, we're in a mess. I said, why are you in a mess? And they said, well, and they began to tell me. They had bought a, they had bought a big boat, nice big boat, cost well over $100,000. They, they had a couple of homes. They were both, had two car payments, and they had taken trips, and the girls did, were in these lessons and all. And I said, well, you make enough money. We get, we, we, you can get out of this. I said, uh, but you got to... How much do you give to God? And when I said that, they both dropped their head. He said, Pastor, we don't give. I said, why don't you give? He said, we don't have enough money at the end of the month to give. I said, how much could you give? He said, Pastor, I'm going to be honest with you. I have to go by and have my mother-in-law fix my lunch because I don't even have enough money to buy my own lunch at the plant cafeteria. They're so tight. He said, I don't have anything to give. We are going under. I said, can you give a dollar? He said, Pastor, I'm not going to give a dollar. He kind of had a smirk. I'm not going to give a dollar. I said, well, God can only bless what you give. He said, I'd be embarrassed to give a dollar. I said, there's your problem right there. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It doesn't say making a wrong decision financially will cause you to fall. It says pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray about doing this. I want you to fill out an offering envelope every week. And you put in there one dollar. And put your name and address and you put it in the plate. He said, Pastor, I'm too embarrassed to do that. I said, I'm going to tell you, God will bless whatever you give. It was about three months later. They made an appointment. I thought, oh, well, they filed bankruptcy or something. And they came in to see me. Smiles across their face. I said, well, what's going on? We're doing so much better. I said, well, what are you, how's it going? He said, financially, we're not out of the woods yet, but boy, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I said, well, what's happened? He said, well, you did that. It took us about three weeks to make up our mind after we left here to do that. But we said, we're going to give a dollar every week and put our name on the offering envelope and put that dollar in there. And we pray, Lord, we're sorry. We have been unwise stewards. This is all we have left at the end of the week. And he said, sometimes, Pastor, we had to give change and go through the house and try to find some change because we didn't even have any cash between us, too, to give anything. And he said, we would pray. 
Lord, forgive us for being unwise stewards. This is all we have to give. If you, if you, but use it for your glory. Take it and bless it and cause it to increase. And we'll not get ourselves in this mess again. And he said, you know, pastors, when we started giving that $1, and then within two or three weeks it was $5. And within another month it was $10. And then all of a sudden he says, now we're up to half of what we normally should have been given anyway. You can't outgive God. You say, how does it work? I don't have a clue how it works. I don't know. I wish I knew how it worked. But I know this, that if you give to God, repent of being an unwise steward, and give God something to work with, He will bless it. Stand with me, would you?